electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dee, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, surging stocks, the S&P on its second best record run ever, the Dow driving into the end of the year as well. Does it make our committee more bullish about 2022? We're more nervous that we're pulling too much forward. We'll ask them, and of course, we'll debate it. Joining me for the hour today, Jason Snipe, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, and John Najarian, who's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. It's good to see everybody. Let's do what we always do. Let's first take a look at stocks and talk a little bit more about that streak that we've been on. 70 record closes for the S&P. Dow's going for its seventh up day in a row. Jenny Harrington, I pose the question to you that we pose at the very top here as we intro the show It's hard not to be bullish given the run we're on, but does it also make you a little bit nervous that we're pulling too much ahead? It definitely makes me a little bit nervous. I was thinking about this and thinking about that I need to be taken with a grain of salt because I am a dividend investor. So I look at the world through a cautious lens. And I was thinking about the last time that I was actually enthusiastic and what the backdrop to that was. And the last time I was actually excited and enthusiastic and feeling great about the market was coming out of 2018. And I wrote in my quarterly letter to clients, we are extremely enthusiastic about the prospects for next year. That was going into 2019. It turned out to be right. But that's when I get enthusiastic. I'm excited when things have been terrible. When things have been wonderful, that always makes me a little bit nervous. And I think it's okay. I just want to make a point too, which is just because I'm a little bit nervous, just because I'm a little bit cautious, doesn't mean I think the bottom falls out. And it doesn't mean that I think that you shouldn't stay invested and probably fully invested. I think any educated investor knows that market timing can bite you pretty badly. If you're a trader, right, you can probably get it right. If you're a long-term investor, you stay invested. So please don't mistake my caution and my apprehension for being invested, being positive over the long term. I also think that there's a lot of headwinds that are going to come our way. As we think about the last couple years, you know, we've had the Fed as the tailwind, just pushing us ahead. That's going to be a headwind. If you want to say don't fight the Fed, you need to remember that that cuts both ways. So we've got tightening ahead. We've got higher valuations ahead. We've got tougher comps ahead. I'm not so sure it's going to be a great year next year, but that doesn't mean I think it'll be terrible. And yet, Weiss, we hopefully have the end of the pandemic ahead. And the degree to which that trumps all of the perceived headwinds that we have of higher interest rates and the Fed and who knows what else, midterm elections, geopolitical risk that certainly is, is still out there. As I said, you know, we're, we're making quite a burst here to, to the end of the year. Does it make you more positive on, on that, you know, that we can carry this for a while? Or do you just feel like we've, we've pulled an awful lot forward? Well, well, first of all, sympathies to Jenny for having such a bad or dull three years. Uh, I've been pretty excited about what's happened. Uh, look, this seasonal period really doesn't give me any thought process going to next year. If the market were up 5% a day or up 
from from you know just a couple of weeks ago before we had the seasonal push, then maybe. But we're hitting new highs, but they're minor new highs. We're not leaps and bounds. So I don't think we're stealing anything from next year. I do expect maybe a slight lull at the beginning of January that we typically see, and then the market's going to do what it's going to do. And I think Jenny's right to be somewhat cautious, it sounds like, or be guarded because there are some headwinds coming from us. Before we get to those headwinds, though, what we're going to get is momentum in the economy and companies that seem to be navigating the inflation issues pretty well, very adeptly. So the first quarter is going to be somewhat of a tell, as it always is in terms of guidance, but particularly with the inflation scenario. So look, so I'm longer than I've been uh, in quite some time, actually fully invested at this point. I will start taking exposure Mm. off in January. I had been at about 30% cash, and then we got that massive sell-off. And I say massive because while the indexes didn't show that, stocks underneath did show. When you have names like Target trading down 20% uh, in just a couple of months, or Dick Sporting Goods trading down from 140 to breaking 100, and some of the others that I'm sure we'll talk about, that's what I was looking for. So I well, let's cash to work. But let's do that now. Let's do that now. Let's talk about Target, which you say that you've added to meaningfully on the pullback. Yep, I did. So I I sold some of my position uh, up higher. And since it's in a taxable taxable accounts rather than tax accounts, uh, I was able to do that. The part that was in accounts where you pay taxes, I didn't do that. But retail overall was declining, and some got hit more than others. So I want to sell, take some of those profits again that I didn't have to pay taxes on, and re-enter when it stopped going down. It stopped going down, so I actually have a larger position now than I had when I started. Interesting. Uh, it's too bad Pete's not with us <laughs> today to yeah. opine on that. But John Nigerian certainly is. I don't remember, Doc, off the top of my head, if you're also invested in Target. But more generally, this idea of now actually taking advantage of of some parts of the sell-off that you thought were a a little too disjointed and felt like there were too good of opportunities to pass up. Well, uh, to answer your first question, Scott, yeah, I'm still long Target. I'm long it through call spreads, Um, as you and I have discussed many times. When volatility gets high, that's when I think it's the Warren Buffett, there's blood in the streets, and that's when I get interested in buying stocks. When vol is low, and we broke through 17 today, first time since basically the first or second week in November that we've been that low, um, and approaching year-low levels for volatility, that's when I want to be in call spreads. So I have exited most of the stocks that I had held Um, into that, Scott, just like uh, Steve said, the ones in the non-taxable accounts where I can actually do that kind of trading. In other words, 401s, KEOs, um, IRAs, all of that sort of thing. And uh, I'm very comfortable having maybe a 30 plus percent cash holding right now, because when you sell, of course, let's say a $350 stock like Meta or Facebook, Um, and you get that cash in your account and you instead replace it with a call spread, um, you end up with a lot of cash. I will deploy that cash if indeed we see a pop of to 30 or 32 again in the VIX. Um, Scott, the volumes have been extremely low right now. Sorry, my light was just moving a little bit. 
Um, the volumes have been extremely low. Uh, the volatility and volume are two things we pay attention to a lot, as well as velocity. Well, all of those volumes have been falling off a cliff. I mean, this week we're down from the 38 uh, million options that we were trading last week down to like 27 million today, uh, yesterday rather. And those kind of numbers, Scott, tell me that, you know, there's Omicron that are keeping people from being in the office that are managing institutional sized money and they're not as comfortable trading from home in those cases. And uh, people are more or less just waiting for the clock to tick tomorrow so that they can start deploying cash next year. So I think a lot of us are really focused in on volatility being low. That might create an opportunity for a little bit of overconfidence, and that overconfidence could lead into what um, Jim Labenthal has called for a 10% decline, I think. I don't think we get there, Scott, but I do think that we'll see a little decline in January in the first few weeks. Interesting uh, how tactical you've been, though, uh, Doc, getting out of the equities and putting on these call spreads. Um, that's a statement in and of itself and the amount of cash that you now have. And what Weiss said about his lack of cash at this point is uh, equally as much a statement on how you guys maybe differ in your near-term view of the market, which brings me to sure. Jason Snipe. I'm curious as to how you view the momentum that we've had here for the last week or so and think uh, how long do you think it can carry into 2022? Yeah, so I, I agree with John's point here. I think the volumes have been low. I'm, I'm attributing a lot of this run S&P up 6%, you know, in the last week uh, to seasonality, kind of that what we've the proverbial Santa Claus rally. So I think, though, once the calendar turns, we will be focused on a lot of the headwinds that Jenny mentioned at the top. You know, the Fed has got a tough needle to thread between managing inflation and not dampening growth with a obviously, you know, a shift in monetary policy and from a tightening perspective. So I think that's going to be a big deal. Inflation, um, look, we got a PCE last week, PCE number last week that was above uh, target, uh, which is obviously the number that the Fed closely follows. These are things that are going to be tough to contend with. Um, I do think on the in the short run, you know, cyclicals and values can do well. And I think you know, uh, from a from a market perspective, the cat the next catalyst for me will be earnings. You know, and I think this year, next year, going to next year will be about earnings growth and fundamentals. I think that will be the story going into 2022. It's perfectly timed as well that we're showing you a chart of the 10 year, which if we could throw back up, I, I wanted to focus on for a minute because we have been under one point five zero percent and now we're above. Uh, the question is whether we hold. And what the real story of that, Steve, is going to be as you get into early 2022, when you really start thinking about the prospect of higher interest rates, of what the inflation picture is going to look like. I, I bring to your attention this tweet from, from Kathy Wood. And Weiss, I want your reaction to it. She speaks about inflation. And then the relationship between that and the kinds of stocks that she has really made her, her name on. Here's the tweet. We'll keep it up and I'll read it to you. In our view, fears of inflation will give way to confusion and fears of recession during the next three to six months. If so, the rapid growth rates of truly innovative companies, many of their equities maligned this year, should be rewarded handsomely. Wondering if you, if you agree with her 
uh, first question, and then whether you think that that means you need to take a look at some of these names that have been so identified with Kathy Wood and say, you know what, a 50% decline in a DocuSign is too much, and a 58% decline in Zoom is equally too much. CrowdStrike down 29%. I could go on, but you get the point. There are a lot of stocks in her universe that have come down an awful lot. Well, first of all, we talk our own books, and not out of a dishonest bias, but out of an honest bias. And that's what Kathy truly believes, and it's been successful for her to own those kind of stocks. I take a different view. I think that that was a moment in time, it was an extended moment in time, those stocks did well. Because interest rates, well, money was free. Uh, pretty much all of them. There'll be some winners, they'll, but there'll be many more losers that won't recover from these levels. And I'll put Zoom in there. I'll put DocuSign in there. And we've already seen their earnings growth start to atrophy. Uh, maybe it finds a base case, but still the valuations are just not attractive. And as interest rates go up, and it's too early to talk about a recession, and there have been murmurs of recession, the R word, for a year now. But guess what? It hasn't come to pass, and it's not going to. So the Fed is not going to all of a sudden say, there's a recession, we're going to cut rates, which is what you would need for these stocks to do well. But there's plenty of growth underneath those stocks. So the ones that I bought, you know, the ones that I bought back into or, or increased my positioning, you know, are cheap stocks, I believe. So, and growing, growing dramatically. And in terms of where the 10-year is, and I look at that as a proxy for the yield curve, that's my biggest position, being short the TLT. And I put that on when I guess yields are around, had a 1.4 something to handle, and the downside was minimal. Where were we going to go? 1.35? But I think that there'll be at least three rate increases next year. And as rates go up, that won't be good for Kathy Wood's preferred stocks. That's just simple math. Well, Dr. J, you know, you're not shy about taking a look at these kinds of names. What do you make of the just incredible declines off the 52-week highs that we've witnessed and whether Kathy Wood's going to be right and said, you know, we're going to move past all of this hyperinflation kind of talk. And then at the end of the day, in a time frame that's as long as hers, which is five years, she's not shy about telling you that, that these stocks are, are going to do well. And that a 70% decline in Fastly or a 42% decline in Twilio is ridiculous at this point and worth your money. Well, uh, Scott, I think uh, Kathy could have a phenomenal uh, first month in the 2020 cycle. And one of the reasons for that is all of the tax loss selling that has brought us to where we are now. We're starting to see a fair amount of speculative paper coming into many of the stocks that have been smashed like the ones that you and Steve just spoke of, but I'll throw others in there. NEO, NIO, SunPower, Ballard Power. Um, many of the alternative power companies uh, to fossil fuels um, were really smashed down to probably a third, a half to a third of where they were in February of this year, Scott. Now we're going to turn the calendar, and many of the folks that have harvested those tax losses, um, I think in many cases pushing these stocks down towards their new 52-week lows. We're seeing them turn around somewhat dramatically today, um, the likes of uh, uh, SunPower and so forth. But anything really that has seen that aggressive selling in the final month of the year, those are the ones that I think can see some pretty nice appreciation next year. We're seeing upside call bets in those names. Now, does it mean that DocuSign and uh, 
um, Roblox and some of her favorites um, just explode to the upside? I think Steve's right that perhaps it does not, but just a recovery and a lack of that extreme selling pressure that has pushed them down, um, just that relaxation, Scott, could let those stocks lift. And does that mean 5%, 10% in the first month of the new year? I think in many cases it means that or more. Hey, Scott, can I yeah. just come Interesting, behind Doc Jenny, for a second? Uh, I'm yeah, sorry, I apologize. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I, I agree with Doc, and as I said in my, in my note this morning to you, that I thought there would be some bounce candidates, like Doc said. But, but the interesting thing here is that keep in mind that a lot of these stocks did very well as the IPO calendar was doing extremely well, and there was huge momentum. As the IPO stocks started to trade down and more down than up now, interest was lost. So any move up, and I do think with Doc that there will be a 5 to 10% move in these, that's a selling opportunity, not a buying opportunity. Well, it's interesting you say that because, as I was going to go to Jenny with, you, you say that these are not your kinds of stocks. I mean, we, we know that first and foremost. You don't have to give the disclaimer about it. I, I certainly will. However, uh, to Weiss's point, whether a pop is a sell opportunity, the drop may be a buy opportunity at some point. You even suggest that some of these names may be just that. You say you'll look at Zoom at 120 or a Pinterest at 15 or a PayPal at 105. We can, we can show those stocks and, and, and shuffle through those as you make the point that you wanted to make about these. Right. Thank you. Um, so I think, I think we need to be careful about the way Kathy uses the word maligned. And let's just dissect Zoom, for example. So there's a terrific Charlie Munger quote that says, there's no great company that can't be turned into a bad investment just by raising the share price. We are not arguing that Zoom is not a great company. It's a great company. We all love it. But it never should have been at $578 a share. It is not maligned because it's now at $190 a share. They'll earn $4.37 next year. That's probably likely. And if you put a rational valuation of between 20 and 30 times on that, you get around $120, 120, maybe 130. At that point, I think it's worth looking at. But I think you need to be very careful when you think about what maligned means and what it means to be thinking that they should go up just because they're down. The reality is, is these stocks never should have been at those prices. And if we take um, PayPal, for example, PayPal is going to earn about $5 a share next year. You take that same like 20 to 30 multiple range, and that's where you can say, all right, I'd look at it around 105. Frankly, I maybe even might look at it at like 150 or something. But you need real earnings to kick in at some mm -hmm. point. They can't coast on fumes mm -hmm. forever. Just one more thing that Steve said that I thought was really important. He said, Kathy's a true believer, um, or sorry, Kathy truly believes this. And that's important because Kathy is a true believer in these stocks. And I think as an investor, you need to be a little bit careful with being a true believer because what true believer, what that leads me to think is that you get um, tunnel vision. And a great investor is someone who can look at all different angles and who can stay flexible and who can say, hey, this game's up here. Hey, I need to look at these differently. So I think it's important for us all as we go into next year to be careful about being a true believer, to be careful about believing that things that worked in the past are going to work again. We need to stay flexible and adjust to what comes our way but, in the future. Sure, sure. But, but I, could, I could say equally, I, I suppose, to be a great investor, you need to be able to see the forest through the trees. And if Kathy were here today, maybe she would suggest that and say, look, I, I have a defined time frame that I, that I swear to, and I'm willing to accept near-term risk for longer-term gain because I believe in the forest rather than the trees right in front of me. 
Um, it's just an interesting point to consider. Let's do this. We're going to continue the conversation in a moment. I do want to get to Courtney Reagan. She has a market flash on Teva Pharmaceuticals. Court. Yeah, hi, Scott. Take a look at shares of Teva Pharmaceuticals moving lower on headlines that a jury in New York state is finding that the company did help fuel the opioid epidemic. Shares had been higher on the session, are now down almost 5% after that verdict has come across the tape. Damages are not yet determined. That will come at a later date in another portion, of course, of the way that our court system works. But uh, again, a New York state jury is saying that Teva Pharmaceuticals did indeed help fuel the opioid epidemic and shares are lower by four and a half percent. Scott? Yeah, they sure are. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Courtney, thank you so much. That's Courtney Reagan. Let's get back to our conversation. A lot of talk, obviously, about high growth, uh, high valuation. But I know a lot of you are thinking about mega caps and what they may do in the new year. Our Josh Lipton certainly is as well. He takes a look at three big ones for us. Hey, Josh. So, Scott, let's dig into some uh, potential buys here. And we'll start with Apple. That stock having a solid showing in 2021. It's up about 35% this year. It's actually trading right around its all-time highs here. Now, some on the street are going to say, listen, stay on the sidelines. This stock does not look cheap. And growth next year, they bet, will be slower. Bulls say, of course, that is the wrong bet, that the iPhone 13 cycle is going to prove stronger than many think. And that Apple is going to introduce new products next year, like a mixed reality headset and that new product so they think is going to convince investors that Apple is indeed well positioned to capitalize on new trends like the metaverse. Microsoft, another name to watch. That stock up a monster 50% this year. Evercore's Kirk Matern telling clients Microsoft remains one of his favorites for next year. Enterprise IT spend remains at an all-time high and Microsoft benefits from that, he says, given its product offerings across cloud computing, productivity, and business applications. It's also in the early in of several next-gen categories, from security to gaming. Bottom line, Kirk sees Microsoft continuing to deliver strong beat and raise cores. It's a staple, he's arguing, in any software portfolio heading into 2022. And we'll end here on NVIDIA. Remarkable run. A Jim Cramer favorite, of course. That stock is up about 130% this year. And remember, it was up about 120% in 2020. No surprise, some are nervous about valuation. Is all the good news priced in now, they wonder. Others, like Bernstein, Stacey Rasgon, say tech investors should not be buying or selling on valuation in and of itself. He still says NVIDIA is a buy. Demand for NVIDIA's products is strong, he says, and shows no signs of abating. Scott, back to you. Yeah, appreciate that very much, Josh Lipton. Thank you. Valuations, a, a, a big question. I would imagine, Jason Snipe, people were thinking about valuations of these three stocks in particular, but others as well in, in some parts of, the, of mega cap tech. Because in our CNBC stock survey, when we asked people, do you think Apple's going to lead in 2022, 58% said it's reasonable that stock slows down. Now, OK, I could take a slowdown. I mean, what was the stock up? 50%? This year or thereabouts, 42 percent, it will keep growing and the stock will keep rising. So it's a fairly even fight, uh, at least not too out of hand. Uh, what are your thoughts here as we approach three trillion dollars in market cap for Apple? Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> out of those three, I think Microsoft um, is the name that I still like going into 2022. I mean, it's trading at 38 times. Obviously, it had a tremendous year up over 50 percent, as Josh mentioned. You know, but I, I look at Microsoft as a bellwether for enterprise spend on software and obviously cloud, which I think they play right into this revolution, this technological revolution that I think continues. 
you know, there's obviously been early adopters, but there's still a lot of folks that I think are still on the sidelines for, from, you know, a technological perspective. So I think Microsoft is the name here that will continue to grow. And I think what's important, too, to the earlier conversation, you have to right-size these positions. Um, you know, obviously, we're heading into a new environment, you know, and, and Microsoft, even in trading at 38 times, they're, they're trading at a premium to the market. So you have to, you have to look at these names and make sure um, that you've right-sized them appropriately going forward. Yeah. Uh, we want to get to a news alert right now regarding uh, the CDC and, and cruises. Certainly a lot of disruptions to all sorts of businesses. Seema, what do we know? Scott, here's the update. The CDC is escalating its travel guidance for cruising from level three to level four. That is defined as the highest level of COVID risk. Uh, U.S. health officials saying the change is to reflect the increase in cases on multiple ships. It's around 88 to be precise, according to CDC's website. And so far, a small percentage of total passengers contracting COVID. Uh, under the level four category, though, CDC is advising Americans to avoid cruising regardless of vaccination status. So this is a recommendation, Scott. No restrictions are being placed on cruising, sailing will continue. And it does follow what Royal Caribbean's told us earlier this morning, that near-term results will be impacted by Omicron, but also highly highlighting that since cruising restarted in June, it's carried about a million guests. And of that, 1,750 have been tested positive or 0.02 percent. 41 of those needed hospitalization. Zero needed hospitalization due to Omicron. Watching the cruise lines, though, come off the highs of the day on this news as CDC is revising its travel guidance, again, recommending Americans not to cruise. Uh, Carnival, you'll see Royal and Norwegian Cruise Line trading down after starting the day with gains, a space we will continue to watch very closely. Scott, back to you. All right, Seema, I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Seema Modi. Dr. J, you do own some carnival calls, I'm told. How are you thinking about this issue right now? Well, I think the only way you can think about it is it's going to soften them up a little bit, Scott. I'm short upside calls against I'm long the 19s out in January. I'm short the 22s. Um, so obviously that's a $3 spread. Um, it's shrinking a little bit today, but really not that much. The 19s are still up 44 cents. And the 22s are up 18 cents, Scott. So that spread is actually expanding a little bit rather than shrinking. Um, so I'm grateful for that. It's one of the reasons you do want to have a hedge on in many cases for these. But, yeah, I know that the uh, pre-sales that they had during Black Friday and so forth were through the roof. But obviously guidance like this, Scott, I'm not going to kid anybody, will uh, put a cap, at least for the uh, short term, on the upside for these stocks. Yeah. All right. Appreciate that, Doc. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the Halftime Report Stock Summit returns with Steve Weiss. We're going to talk about his top second half picks, hits, and the misses, of course. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The FDA is expected to approve COVID booster shots for 12 to 15-year-olds on Monday. That's according to The New York Times. A follow-up vote by the CDC on clearing the way for booster shots to begin is expected by the middle of next week. We are hearing from one of the jurors in the Kim Potter manslaughter case. The juror did ask not to be identified, but said that much of the jury felt that Potter made an honest mistake but that her experience as a police officer came into play, adding she has to be responsible for rights death and is not above the law. And in South Africa, the body of Archbishop Desmond Tutu has been brought to the cathedral where he preached against racial injustice. The simple pine coffin with rope handles and a single carnation was requested by Tutu. He wanted the least expensive coffin and no lavish funeral decorations. Mourners will be able to pay their respects through tomorrow. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, we appreciate that. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Well, we are continuing now our review of the Investment Committee's top second half picks from our June stock summit. I want to begin with Steve Weiss today. Remember, in the middle of June, had everybody pick a few stocks that they liked for the second half along with the sector. Steve Weiss, you picked, uh, and probably not a surprise to a lot of people, uh, Moderna. Uh, even with its pullback, Steve, the stock is still up 21%. From June 22nd, when you were on the show and you made the pick, Porsche, XBO Logistics, which you've continued to talk about in recent months, uh, are both down respectively. And then technology as a sector was a huge winner, up 22 percent. But let's stay with Moderna and what you think about it in the here and now. Well, look, I mean, Moderna has been a volatile stock, as have the others, uh, but particularly BioNTech. Uh, but the future is pretty bright. Next year should be a phenomenal year for the stock as we start to see their pipeline of more than 30 vaccines and therapeutics come, you know, start moving through the pipeline to great extent. So first up, we'll get CMV, then we'll get uh, RSV. So one is for birth defects. That should be commercial next year. RSV for respiratory. That's going to come close to being commercial. And the others will move from phase one to phase two, phase two, to phase three, et cetera. So the future is extremely bright for them. Now that you have proof of concept with the COVID vaccine and the superiority of the mRNA technology, I think the future is as bright as it's ever been, so I'm unfazed on it. However, it is important to manage the position as I've done. So I'm currently short calls, which expire today, because as Doc mentioned, when the volatility spikes, you get these fat premiums that are really ridiculous. They're able to sell calls against it. I also buy puts on occasion. So when there's a lull in the stock, it seems that the hedge funds want to come out and short it and bash it. So you always buy puts. Mm -hmm. I call it schmuck insurance. It's worked 
because it's far below the market. But Scott, if I couldn't XPO, when I recommended XPO, it was part of the reason, a large part of the reason was because they had announced they were going to spin out GXO Logistics. And when you take a look at GXO, spun out $50 on July 23rd, trading regular way on August 1st. That stock is up from 50 to, I think, 95. So you should, in fairness, blend XPO with GXO, and you have a stock that's up incredibly versus the market, and absolutely. XPO will recover. I still own it, and of course, I still own GXO. Let me go back to Moderna uh, for a moment, because you speak about the, the pipeline with, with almost a sense of certainty uh, as it relates to the other prospective treatments related to our mRNA um, technology. Um, but right. certainly, you know, I mean, it, it's anything but uh, a certainty. There is considerable right. risk around, you know, making too big of a bet on, on a pipeline that is to this point uh, unapproved uh, and unproven. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree. There's inherent risk in every biotech stock, even when you get approval. I mean, look at Biogen. They come out with an Alzheimer drug, and it doesn't really take off because of price, because of some concerns it's not effective enough for the price they're charging. But when I take a look at Moderna, when I take a look at what's come out of the trials, even the flu vaccine, and those results were unjustifiably maligned because it does show superiority to current flu vaccines on the market, I just think that you've got a technology platform here, not a typical biotech company. And that technology platform has been proven. So will all these drugs in the pipeline, the therapeutics and vaccines, be approved? Well, I'd say that's unlikely, unlikely with any company, whether it's in biotech or in auto. Some don't make it to the market. But nonetheless, as I handicap mm -hmm. it, the risk-reward, I think, is incredible, with $15 billion in cash, roughly, and an annuity stream from the vaccines. And by the way, the pricing of the vaccines is going to go up in, to a very large level once the pandemic's over. As they said, pandemic pricing is only in, in effect during the pandemic. Once we go to the endemic pricing, you'll see a big bump there. Sure. I just want to make, make sure that our, our viewers yep. and, and investors un, understand uh, the, the risks that are, uh, you know, around, around and nothing's a, nothing's a guarantee. Uh, for sure Absolutely when it comes right. around the, uh, that kind of technology. All right. Um, and by the way, don't miss the kickoff of our 2022 stock summit. We're going to do that on Monday. Uh, we're going to have all the halftime traders throughout the week. They're going to give you their picks, their best ideas for 2022 in what could be a more volatile, more turbulent, and certainly a more interesting year. Uh, so you want to stay tuned certainly for that as we kick off the new year uh, next week. Up next, John's got unusual activity when we come back. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind. 
just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's do unusual activity, Dr. J. What do you have for us today? Well, um, you know this one. Jim Cramer loves this one, Scott. ABV. A-B-B-V. And it's one of those that is seeing an increase in volume rather than flat or down volume. So that's one of the reasons it caught our eye. Another was just the very large buying at a single strike. I show 27,000 of the February 140 calls trading. The stock was just a little over 136. So these options, um, just a little bit out of the money, Scott. I bought at the money and I'll sell upside as it rallies, which I think it will. Um, to see a big bet like that uh, put on just ahead mm -hmm. of year end tells me they're looking for something perhaps at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference or at one of the early conferences, Scott, that kick off 2022. So again, ABV, ABBV, uh, the 140s well, out in February. So you have a lot of time, two months to be right. Let me just make a point here, too, since, since you brought them up. Sure. I think it was yesterday or, or the day before as part of the CNBC Investment Club where Jim Cramer said this stock has had such a great run that he was taking a little bit of profit in that name because it was trading at a, at a big high. And maybe now is the time to take some chips off the table. It's interesting that because of the uh, activity that you see, which is bullish, that you're willing to play some options on the long side. Yeah, well, uh, and again, I always say this, Jim's a smart guy, and he's doing just what I would do if I already owned shares in AbbVie. Selling some of those shares, Scott, that puts cash into my account, and I can put that cash to work, maybe one-tenth of it, into a simulated upside call position that basically lets me participate, even though um, I take the stock off the table and take that bigger risk off the table being in mm -hmm. the call spread instead. I bet some smart people are following Jim's lead and doing just that. I have a second one real quick, uh, Global Payments, GPN. This one also a lot more volume than usual. They bought about 8,500 of the, again, February 150 calls. In this case, though, the stock still being around that 136 level, same as um, AbbVie, but they're buying $10 higher out of the money, not the 140s the 150s. So that's a much more bullish outlook that they have for a pop between now and February for global payments. I think that could be one of the hot sectors. We both like, I think, uh, Jim and I, the financial sector. This one's one of the fintech plays in that sector, GPN. So I'm in this one as well, Scott, owning at the money, and I hope to sell upside calls against it. Okay, sounds good. The committee is ready to answer your questions next. You can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this.
All right, let's kick off Ask Halftime with a video question for you, Jenny. Let's watch. Dave from New York, along with the investment committee behind me, and we are debating the merits of AT&T. Wondering if you think the stock is going to continue this recent rally or if it's just going to keep going down, down, down. Thanks very much. Apropos for the background, Jenny, because AT&T has been a dog it's been a in dog. 2021. <laughs> What's going to happen in 2022? <laughs> so, I, think, I think we've seen the bottom in AT&T. I think what pushed it down from higher 20s to 22 and change was tax loss selling. That's over with. We're getting closer to the Warner Media spinoff. We're seeing analysts start to change their tune. So I think that the momentum is starting to change in this. And everybody hates the management team. But the bottom line is this is a company with really, really valuable assets and a really strong customer base that generates huge free cash flow. So there's value there. It's trading at eight times earnings with an eight and change percent dividend yield. Yes, they're going to cut that dividend next summer after the Warner Media spinoff, but it should still be 5%-ish plus maybe. So I think the bottom's in. And by the way, I don't think the rally is going to okay. be anything great. Our estimates is that maybe it should be a mid-30s stock. Okay. Jason, next one for you. Uh, we go international for you. Holger in Germany says, my portfolio has been mainly growth, large cap tech, healthcare staples, and defensive. So what are your top three cyclical names that I can balance my portfolio into 2022? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm going to go energy here. I really like Chevron is the first one, fully graded. Full integrated oil company, four and a half percent yield. Obviously, it's had a great year, um, but they've they've done really great job with cost containment and and with commodities moderately growing. Uh, I think this name will stand to benefit from that. The other one is ConocoPhillips. Conoco is up really really great year, up eighty two percent this year, two and a half percent yield. Uh, but they had a, a very nicely accretive deal with the Delaware Basin, two hundred twenty five thousand acres that they acquired, I think that will kind of be a catalyst for strength going forward. So Conoco and Chevron are the two for me. All right, Jay, good stuff. Thank you. All right, Weiss, let's watch this. Hey, Halftime. Dan in Minneapolis. Love the show. Question for Steve Weiss. Uh, A-C-L-S, small chip play. Curious as to your thoughts. Monster winner this year, Weiss. You own it. It's up 150%. Now what? Yeah, I wish I owned it for the entire time, but I don't. It's a relatively new position over the last couple of months. Look, they're in a very unique space. The company's been somewhat reformed and has a critical technology, which is ION, and they basically make chips more efficient. And they're in all the latest technologies, and you'll see more and more of it. So I like I'm saying there, it's cheap. Earnings are going to grow by about 50% next year. You saw a big uptick in, in revenues this year as well. I think that will continue next year. So, so I'm staying there. And I'd like to congratulate Farmer Jim and Pete on that cameo in Jenny's question. I, I didn't expect to see them today. <laughs> All right. Lastly, <laughs> uh, it's for Dr. J. For Larry in South Carolina, Vale is at a tough three months. What do you do now? Buy, sell, hold, Doc. You definitely buy that one, Scott. Um, Jimmy talked about Cliff just a couple days ago when we were on together. And this one in that same sort of space, I want to own Vale, um, Freeport, and Cliff into this 2022 that I think will be good for all three. Okay. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll give you the trades on some of the day's biggest analyst calls. And we'll do it next.
Want to remind you tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, do not miss a CNBC special with Sarah Eisen, Your Money 2022. Tonight, 6 p.m., right here on CNBC. All right, let's do final trades. Dr. J, I understand that you've been a little busy during the program. I mean, I know you were paying attention to what we were talking about, but apparently you've been doing some trading, too. Yeah. Uh, Scott, uh, this is one that you and I have talked about a lot with the committee, and that is PayPal. Uh, PayPal, uh, a lot of folks jumped on it right after the last earnings. That was too early. When it broke down to 179 or whatever, that was a great entry. I didn't get that low, but I did buy it in the low 180s and have been adding to it as it's rallied here, Scott. Today, they're buying the uh, 200 calls out in January. So gave me another excuse to buy one of the best companies and talk about one that has had tax loss selling. I mean, down from plus 300 to 182 or whatever the low was, Scott. I mean, a fantastic company, I think, that does very well in the first quarter of next year. Um, but the final trade for Quickly the day would with the be other one. Affirm. Okay, Affirm. Buy now, pay later. Upside calls added to it. Affirm. Well, look at that up 9%. All right, good stuff, Doc. Thank you very much. Jenny? Thank you. Medical, prop medical Properties Trust. If I'm right about my caution and hesitancy going into next year, this will be a nice place to stay out of the fray and collect a nearly 5% dividend yield. Okay, good stuff. Jason Snipe, to you. I'm on an energy kick. I like XLE, uh, strong balance sheets. I think there's, there's some runway here going into 2022. Stay long, XLE. All right, Steve Weiss, finally to you. Dick Sporting Goods, I think it continues to recover and goes back to the old highs of about 140, similarly to why I bought more Target. All right, good stuff. Great to see everybody. Thanks so much for watching. Look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.